Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale, sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget your machete as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. So that entire hey guys hope you enjoyed that peek behind the scenes <laughs> what it's all about this is monsteropolis a show about anomalies legends and monsters i'm one of your hosts my name is seth breedlove i'm joined as always by my pal mark matsky hello and greetings hi, hi and hello Welcome. thank you it's uh <laughs> it's nice to be here today <laughs> Uh, this is the official podcast of Small Town Monsters, a film production company out of Ohio that makes movies about strange and unusual subjects around the United States. Yeah. Or it could be a young adult novel. It's hard, it's hard to say. <laughs> Let the courts decide. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel about it. Wow. Um, so we're uh, yeah we're we're back this week. We have uh, we did take a one week hiatus. I I tried to get something together, but um, I've realized I'm the only guy at like noon who's hitting up people on like a Thursday. Yeah, like hey, do you want to hop on real quick and do a podcast? I can actually. Yeah, sure. I'll just I'll just leave work. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're back uh, this week as normal. A uh, couple announcements to make. Uh, one, uh, there have been some changes to Small Town Monster Squad. We have established a new schedule. The schedule was supposed to begin yesterday. It did not. Um, so instead, it will sort of begin um, this week. Pseudo begin this week. Like I, a soft open. Yeah, I, th- I think we're still going to have... Um, basically, it's not going to begin until next week. You're going to get Monsteropolis, the video version, probably on whatever day this week that it pops up. Uh, but starting next week, Monsteropolis will be Monday. So Monsteropolis Monday. Uh, Small Town Monster Squad Tuesday. Squadcast Tuesday. Squadcast. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday becomes the production diaries and other behind-the-scenes footage, uh, uncut interviews, all that kind of stuff for squad members. Uh, second Friday of each month is now Hauntings Day. On the Trail of Hauntings will appear. And then the third Friday of each month is when uh, Hauntings Production Diaries will go up. Um, the next big episode of Hauntings is out in a couple weeks. It should be the second Friday. So, yeah, we're still a couple weeks away from the big Mansfield episode yeah. uh, dropping. But we're very excited for people, people to see that one. Um, Morgan Freeman show up. In he there? does. Yeah, he does a brief cameo. Uh, he narrates Zach sitting in a, <laughs> in a room for a while. Um, but yeah, the the squad, there will be changes going on with squad going forward as we try to get the, the scheduling and all that stuff together. But um, I guess the biggest change is that Squadcast is going weekly. So previously it was kind of random. Now we're recording an episode every week. So this week we're doing two episodes on Friday. We're getting them shot. I don't think they'll drop until next week. But uh, those episodes are both with Heather Mosier. One will be centered around hauntings, and the other is sort of centered around the work we do behind the scenes, getting all this stuff researched and put together. Um, and what is the other? Oh, the other announcement is we're down to nine days for the Kickstarter. When you hear this episode, um, there will be even less days. Uh, Indeed. Yeah, and 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 then I think this is the last episode that'll actually be out before the Kickstarter ends. So I might be actually I'm wrong for Squad members because I think the plan is for Squad members to actually have the video version of the show well before um, the listeners. I have to say I'm very hopeful that we hit that last 
stretch goal because I would really like to see a case files collection. Yeah. Purely like for my own like fan reasons, I guess, to Uh have it all in one spot. These pop filters are, can you pull, pull your mic slightly closer to me? Yeah. Cause I think I'm not getting, if you need to move the pop filter away from it or closer or something. Okay. Yeah. There we go. That's a little better. Yeah, the filter on these, the leveler will actually cut your voice out if you're not speaking directly into that. And that's oh. why I do that, because you might just have to get rid of that. So yeah, you push can, it aside. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, the what you're referring to is, I don't even know if we had talked about that on the show, but the, no. the third stretch goal for the Kickstarter is the uh, season, season one of Case Files. I think it's six episodes. Um, previously only available on YouTube and Amazon Prime. We're going to put them on DVD along with uh, uh, an unreleased seventh episode um, all about the Kecksburg crash that goes more in-depth on some... Oh, and one thing about this that I didn't mention that I probably need to mention. We have interview segments from On the Trail of UFOs with Stan Gordon where he goes into more detail on aspects of the Kecksburg crash than he did during Invasion that we would be integrating into that. So it wouldn't mm-hmm. solely be the, on the, the, it, it wouldn't solely be invasion on chestnut Ridge. It would also include some of his interview for on the trail of UFOs. And then we also have an interview with Ron Struble, who was a witness. And then, and then there was a long interview we shot with John Hayes, which only was in the movie really for like five minutes. Right. Um, so we have a lot planned for that. Um, if, if we hit this final stretch goal right now, we're like 44, Four hundred, forty-three hundred dollars mm-hmm. away from reaching it. Um, the other, even more important to me, aspect of this Kickstarter is that we top last year's backer count. Right now, we're still like twenty-two under last year, so we're getting close to last year's. Nine days left. I think we can top it, but that's a big deal too. So, anyway, jump on there, back the Kickstarter if you haven't. Uh, join squad. One other thing, two other things, uh, beyond the trail, <laughs> we announced, uh, the new Alexander Petikov, uh, free to YouTube series. Um, there's some really cool things happening with this series. If you're a squad member, you already know what they are from, from the latest squad cast. Um, and then the other big thing is that we start filming a new YouTube original series, not, for, not for squad. This is a free to everyone series. We start filming this week called paranormal unexplained. And um, if you're a <clears throat> if you're a hauntings viewer, um, you you know how utterly absurd the STM crew can get. And I'm assuming this show will really. I don't know how else to view it other than it's probably going to get absurd. I yeah. I mean, I think there will be some analysis probably, but yeah. more riffing than anything. Uh, else. I would assume a lot of riffing. <laughs> Um, and we're, uh, that'll be sort of a rotating guest, uh, r- rotating, um, rotating panel of STM crew members. Luminaries. Yeah. Luminaries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, such luminaries such as Zach Palmasano, yeah. <laughs> Santino Vitale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, we're going to, that show involves us watching, uh, purported, uh, paranormal evidence videos and then uh, analyzing them yes. for the audience. And that starts filming this week. So we're excited about both these things. Um, let's get into the show this week. We have, are we doing the letter first? I think the letter kind of helps set up a yeah. little bit the sure. subject of the show for the next two episodes, which is the Adirondacks or upstate New York in general, mm-hmm. slash a little bit of Rutland or Vermont. Oh, yeah. Say, I would assume. You can't separate Whitehall from Vermont, in my opinion, because I accidentally drive into Vermont every time. <laughs> Whitehall. So, um, yeah, we have this letter. Do you have the letter? I don't have the letter. I no. do. Prepare yourself. Yeah. Um, somewhere. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think one thing that studying the Adirondacks and like um, Paul Bartholomew's work has taught me is that it really is, there is that connection between, say, Whitehall and Castleton. Mm hmm. You know, it's a real thing, at least in like terms of his connection to Warren Cook and that being a stretch of um, connected areas, let's say, for research, at least at the time that Cook was active. Um, mailbag mumbo jumbo is the subject line for this email. 
Uh, hello, gents. Congratulations on hitting your Kickstarter goal so quickly. I'm looking forward to STM's projects in 2021. I have a chicken or egg question that you might like to ponder. It came to me while watching Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. In places like the Ridge, Bermuda Triangle, or Skinwalker Ranch, does the amalgamation of reported activity point to a location being the catalyst of the weird, or is the contemporary legend of these locations created by connections made by folks like Stan Gordon, George Knapp, and companies like STM? I'm not sure that it matters, but seeing your movie again got me thinking about whether or not these locations would be in our collective consciousness as being unique if the dots weren't connected for us by someone. I'll give you an example. I could make it an argument that the Beaver and Sandy Creek watershed in Ohio might be one of these weird places. As discussed in past mailbag episodes, the Smith's Ferry petroglyphs at Beaver Creek's terminus include ancient drawings of an aquatic monster, mysterious bird creatures, and something that resembles a Bigfoot. Less than eight miles from Smith's Ferry, Matt Moneymaker recorded the Ohio Howl in Wellsville. Beaver Creek's other end connects to Sandy Creek via the old Sandy and Beaver Canal system. That portion runs behind the Caton residence where Seth made the Minerva monster famous. There are dozens of alleged hauntings, tales of witchcraft, possessions, UFO sightings, strange rock carvings, and more in between. The Sandy and Beaver Canal system alone is associated with several legends such as Gretchen's Lock, Esther Hale, and the tales in Hanoverton, which you've just covered so well in On the Trail of Hauntings. Officer Houston of the East Palestine PD picked up the Portage County UFO chase on Route 51 near its crossing over the Little Beaver Creek. That last one is an admitted stretch, but that goes to my point. Are we connecting dots or are these locations genuinely unique? Again, I'm not sure that it matters because I find the narratives to be exceptionally entertaining, but I'm curious about what your professional folklorist friends might have to say about it. That's actually a good question. Um, Incident, incident, I didn't mean to say actually as if that was surprising. i got to stop using the word actually in general. (laughs) Incidentally, I met our mutual colleague Brian Seach at a book signing in 2019. My little project details Beaver Creek legends from a small portion of the area where I grew up. However, Brian has stacks of files which dwarfs my research. It purportedly includes everything from corroborating accounts of a white Bigfoot to a dimensional portal in Beaver Creek State Park. I don't know Brian very well, but I think his research has the potential to someday achieve the same success in contributing to American folklore as Stan and George. Someone needs to convince him to write a book. Uh, If you choose to... Okay. All right. Yeah, there's more here, but I'm not supposed to read it. Okay, so this was uh, from our our friend Mike, uh, who uh, Mike also wrote a book. Yes. Are you reading that book? Did you already read that book? Not completely, but I have started it. Legends and Lore of... The Beaver, Little Beaver Creek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we both have thoughts on this and we've discussed it a little bit in the past. There's, I had dinner with Blake Smith from the, I'm going to call him out on this episode. I've mm-hmm. never mentioned who brought that up, but I'm getting rid of this stupid pop okay. grief. Do it. Do it. Do it's... it. I'm so mad. <laughs> um, don't you feel free? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, no, I still don't. I feel like this whole thing's tilting away from me. Oh. But um, so Blake from Monster Talk and I were having dinner during CryptidCon 2019, maybe. And he was the first person who I heard. And it wasn't his theory. It was someone else's. And he was kind of relating it to mm-hmm. me that um, a, a window area is really just a place where uh, a, a researcher or investigator is so open to everything that they allow every report to come in and they put it all out there. And you end up with a lot of very questionable, what would normally be considered very questionable reports in an area where there might not actually be that much activity because they're just welcoming of any account, whatever it is. Now, you and I have discussed this, and I know you, your take on that is that a place like Chestnut Ridge had activity long before Stan was around, sort of documenting that Mm -hmm. activity. And the same could be said for Skinwalker and definitely for Bermuda Triangle. So these places sure. all have a long history of being weird. Mm-hmm. But what what do you have to say to Michael's letter? What do you have to say for yourself? <laughs> well, first, I, I just want to touch on this before it leaves my mind. And I think Brian Seach was brought up near the end of that. What I know about Brian, besides the fact he's a huge Godzilla fan, which is awesome, is that his personal collection of of raw data and resources is gigantic. I think he may have 
even gotten rid of some. But I do think that if he did decide to, and he's written pamphlets and things. I don't know about a like a published book, but I think that would be very advisable for him to do so. It would be a good thing. Um, so I guess as far as a location is concerned, I really do. I mean, if I was forced to like have a take on this, I think there are certainly places and locations where more strange things happen than others. Mm-hmm. But I, it's a point well taken that if you get somebody, a researcher or a story collector or however you want to term that, who becomes a repository or a, a, a link for people who they know they should go tell, then it can become a matter of self-fulfilling prophecy, I suppose, because interested people read those reports, find out about them, then they want to go to those locations and they may or may not have experiences of their own. So I could see where that might create its own phenomena in a sense. And I suppose that that's that's sort of what folklore is made of, at least in part, that you're repeating something that you heard or you went somewhere hoping to have an experience and then uh, you relay that to somebody else. But I think there's a there's another way to think of that as well, and that is, as you were reading that, this occurred to me. You know, if it's true that researchers are sort of the focal point of this, of of creating an area or a reputation for an area that depends on the researcher, then what that suggests is that weird things are happening everywhere equally, and it just depends on, is anybody paying attention? Mm-hmm. And that's an equally fascinating thought. And I don't know if that's like, if that has been explored by the, those who are, you know, positing the theory that the researcher is central, but that does suggest that you know, everywhere has the potential to be a flap area or a window area. It just depends on having somebody sitting in that seat collecting the stories. So I don't know what that adds to the conversation, except um, I know I think, I really do think in my heart of hearts that like Chestnut Ridge and Skinwalker Ranch and Bermuda Triangle that you mentioned and other places have an inherent quality to them that seems to be a, um, you know, a catalyst, I guess, is the word that was used in the letter, that there are places that are weirder than others. There are places in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so um, he there was a line in there where he said he loves the the narrative mm-hmm. of that, and I think that's kind of where I'm I'm at right now. Is I love the narrative. I don't know that I subscribe to the idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I do think there are these like places where more activity happens than others. Because like even Paul Bartholomew has a line in um in in on the trail of Bigfoot the journey where he says I don't know if Whitehall has any more activity or if it's just that we chose to focus on it. Mm-hmm. here and so i think that's very telling like that you know they're they're even in a place like whitehall where where you focus or where you so heavily associate it with bigfoot activity and unusual occurrences um you know is that is it any more unusual than rutland or um than uh kinderhook or whatever you know like mm-hmm. or or maybe even like um like george or someplace that's less connected with the paranormal um, having said that and having looked at his mysterious Northwoods, I mean, I think there's a lot of weird stuff that happens. Right. There. Um, it is a chicken and an egg yeah. conversation ultimately because you just keep running around in circles. Yeah. You wouldn't be talking about a preponderance of weird things happening in an area if they weren't happening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it just becomes a matter of degrees. I but think. maybe, but like, what if, what if like, it's not as, See, we say window areas, but <clears throat> that that would indicate yeah, and uh, maybe a smaller or a, a smaller. See, I I think a window, an, a window area, or a flap, mm-hmm. or a window, is talking about something more specific than just over time. This is a geographical area that has had weird cases. Okay, you know what's implied is that something opens. Yes. Yeah. You, yeah. That's how Keel used it. It wasn't yeah. just that. You know, oh, here in the Northeast, we have There's a, lot a lot of, of weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So I think that that plays into the conversation somewhere. We probably need to do a whole episode just kind of exploring that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do, I have a, 
I have thoughts on it, but over time, my thoughts have changed. Like originally, I think I was very much in the like, like when we made Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, I was like, this is a place where a lot of weird stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And these days I'm like, well, is it any weirder than what's happening down the road in Pittsburgh, which I know is like on the ridge too. But like, I mean, how do you define what, where are the boundaries of a window area? Because some of these window areas start to overlap and then you're like, okay, well, is the entire... Adirondack region, a window area. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to get, I don't know what episode we're doing first here. I'm hoping this is Bigfoot because I have a lot more to say about just random weirdness. From mm-hmm. the area. But if we get into the random weirdness like that, you're covering a massive swath of the country. When you start talking about like North, the Northeast, when you break it down, even to like upstate New York, that's a huge sec- oh, sure. chunk of land. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you could say that in, the, the upstate New York is a window area. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, but having said that, then I think of like Kinderhook, for example. That was all. That was more of a flap or a window experience, just based on the evidence or the when the reports were taken. That's like seventy nine through eighty two, and after that, the reports dry up. You know, yeah, I don't. They, I, mean, I don't know of any there. reports in Kinderhook. After 82. But what about like the 50s? You've got the blob. So there's a there's reports prior to the to the really popular stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, what if those things were going on and people just weren't talking about it? Well, it could be. Yeah, that could be. But the it, the the nature of this is, I mean, like the Kinderhook's on my mind because I just wrote about it mm-hmm. for the book. And within the span of days, you had people seeing black Bigfoot, white Bigfoot, reddish brown Bigfoot, some with red glowing eyes, some not. And then all of that dries up. I mean, and, and it's not like, it's not as if, and then next year in October, they came back. Yeah. So if you're looking at from a pattern standpoint, that in, to my mind, that tends towards a flap or a window type thing going on, as opposed to we're talking about a, Flesh and blood mammal who's like migrating through an area consistently. Yeah, I'm just curious. Um, yeah, I'm just curious. Like what what to find? See, see, the other thing about that is, um, like recently, I've been talking to Bruce, and Bruce just turned up a couple uh, Kinderhook creature sightings, and I think he said from the 80s. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how. And there's a. I feel yeah. like we need to sit down with paper and pens and define what what separates a window area mm-hmm. from a flap from, and maybe even come up with a new term terminology right. for something. Sure. Cause, Cause I fe- feel like there's more at play here than yeah. just those, those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you've got the, uh, Hudson Valley has the, the UFO stuff yeah, going on definitely. and that's right down the road from Kinderhook. Right. The, uh, the other thing too, like with the Kinderhook creature that I think is fascinating is that there was a media element to it. You know, it was, um, you know, Bruce got involved Letters were written to the local paper, and that resulted in a flood, relatively, uh, a flood of letters coming back to the editor saying, you know, we had an experience like that, too. Well, see, I guess that's my issue with saying, okay, so now let's just consider this. We're into the theme of this this week's show, Mm -hmm. at Adirondack Bigfoot. We're just starting here, and then we can figure out where we're going from there. But, like, the, um, I think my issue with, with that stuff is that very often those reports ebb and flow because people just stop reporting it to anyone. Mm-hmm. So like we've figured, I mean, we, we've both heard how many accounts from people we've met or heard from through messages or whatever about Minerva sightings mm-hmm. that don't align with the 77, 78 stuff uh, that, that's that go well into the nineties and like even up to present day that don't. So I don't know that those flaps necessarily have to actually end and, and that it isn't just people not reporting sure. it anymore. Yeah. Because Kinderhook, it seems like to me, if we're going to start talking about Kinderhook, then it seems like Kinderhook didn't necessarily start in the the eighties, which is like, I think even in the movie, I, I say something about starting in the, it's, it's his first report that he mentions is from like 76 or something. Seven. Um, but there's yeah, earlier there is an earlier. There's one. earlier stuff than that. Yeah. But that's kind of what I'm saying is like we consider Kinderhook. It's like Minerva. You consider the Minerva case to start in 78, August of 1978. Mm-hmm. 
and and then end the next year or whatever. But that, there's no truth to that. The reports are going on long before, and they continue mm-hmm. going on up to present day. Right. So I mean, these people have started getting so loud next wow. door. I'll tell. Oh my gosh, you should try sleeping in here. Oh, that goes on all hours. Yeah, we we did like a stay over with the nephews, Tommy and I. And yeah, nephews stayed here, and they were yeah they were screaming until all hours of the yeah, morning. I'm like, when do these children sleep? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's that's really um, intriguing because you know the idea of a flap or a window could be a construction. Mm-hmm more than a reality, you know, uh, having to do with people's willingness to talk about their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, a media push, like a letter to the editor or a, an evening news blurb or something like that, for a time makes it okay to talk about. And it's almost, uh, you know, people bend over backwards to <laughs> add their two cents and be a part of that movement. And then there's a time where it's not, you know, where you, people get tired of that stuff. Right or they don't want to be attached to it any longer. So, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting. The, the, it, it, I, I, we just started talking about Kinderhook. Have we ever talked about Kinderhook on this show before to really describe to people? No, not in, no, not in creature. detail and like carefully walk through yeah. what happened. <laughs> and we're not going to, because right <laughs> we do it very well. And on the trail of yes. the journey, but, um, yes. But that these are sightings that took place in the town or near the town, around the town of Kinder Village Town, Kinderhook, New York, mm-hmm. uh, Hudson Valley, right? Yeah, Hudson oh, Valley, definitely. Yeah, um, not that far from the actual Sleepy Hollow. There's a connection between this town and Sleepy Hollow, which we'll we should probably talk about someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but but the stories really came out because of the work of um, Bruce Hallenbeck who's a local researcher slash author. Um, we featured all of this very heavily in on day four of, of on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey, but um, it's exciting. It's very similar to Minerva in that it involves a family kind of like a, there's a family, the Hallenbeck family at the heart of it. And then it spreads out to all these other people. And you have all these other people seeing creatures around the area. The one difference between this and Minerva to me anyway, the standout difference is that you're there's multiple encounters that involve multiple creatures. Yeah. So it's much more of a larger widespread sort of encounters. And really, I don't know that I can immediately call to mind too many other cases that involve so many sightings of multiple creatures. Mm-hmm. Did you have multiple sightings that involve three, uh, you know, two, two creatures. There was the one, um, there were multiple that were storing food in the snowbank, wasn't there? Or was that, just one. I can't remember. The swamp yeah, is sure. three. Yeah. Um, but there's a few accounts like that. And uh, it takes place during the late 70s. Did we both read the book? It says, yeah, it's the same stuff. <laughs> there's only a couple sources yeah. for it, which is. We're going to work on that. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure something out. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, yeah. So the, the Kinderhook stuff is late 70s into the 80s. Yeah, the, what blows my mind about the case is those multiple creature sightings mm-hmm. and the fact that two of them are tied to the Hallenbeck family. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is profoundly about the Hallenbecks. Mm-hmm. And there's other people who had similar experiences, but the one grandson of Martha Hallenbeck is, had a four-creature and a five-creature sighting. Yeah. And that's... And he wasn't alone. I mean, the first one he was, but the second one, there was somebody with him, I think his cousin. And that kind of thing, just what do you do with that? Yeah. That'd be terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so I, I know we said, we're t- okay, so this episode's about Bigfoot in, in New York. New, uh, are we sticking to New York, upstate New York? Is that what we want to say? Yeah, I think um, non-Whitehall. Mm. No, no, no. Non Abair Road. Non Abair Road. Yeah, because there's good Whitehall stuff. I was gonna say, man, there's some. There's some. Like I, I just started really going in into this last night, and there's accounts in the Mysterious North Woods book, the new one, that that jump back to the 40s yeah. around Whitehall, which is pretty pretty cool. Some some stuff I had no idea about. Sure. Um, and that what's what really was striking for me in adding little blurbs to the book is that in the Whitehall area. And not just, not like the region, but in Whitehall proper, there has been, just since the Bear incident, there's been a, at least one report every decade 
up mm-hmm. to the present day. So this, there's some, you know, long-term something going on. Well, I think between 2018 and now there's been like three or four accounts out there too. Yeah. There's which... one at the end of Northwoods that is really interesting okay. like, that we should talk about. Yeah. I didn't, today. I didn't read that one. Yeah. So you'll have to educate me. Okay. On that. But, um, we have an interview with a Whitehall witness in Bigfoot and on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey, um, super interesting account. Um, I love the fact that I feel like we could keep going back to Whitehall and just making movies every couple of years <laughs> yeah. and have, have an endless trove of like stories to tell. Um, but yeah, so just to, I mean, we've talked about it at, uh, numerous times on the show. Um, I have a feeling this is mostly going to involve like Adirondacks, Hudson Valley area is my mm-hmm. ass- assumption. Um, so the, the, we're talking about a very densely forested section of, upstate New York where lots of unusual activity occurs. And there's a long history of uh, Bigfoot accounts in that area going all the way back to the 1600s where, where native lore told of what's the, what's the creature called? The, Oh, the go, the goo. Oh, the goo. The goo. Yeah. The goo was a, and I actually think I have this somewhere here. I think I might've written this one down or took a picture of it. I don't know. Yeah, Gagoo. Yeah. French explorer Samuel de Champlain writes that the natives in the region relate tales of the Gagoo, a giant frightful beast that towered into the air as high as ship's masts. Inhabiting the wilderness, it was said to have made strange hissing sounds. Hmm. Naturally, being a white man, I ascribe Bigfoot to that because apparently that's all we do. (laughs) I'd like to see a ship's mast. That reminds me of um, Troll Hunter. Oh, yeah. It's a great movie. It's such a good movie. Yeah. Tommy, by the way, is asking if we will take him to see Kong versus Godzilla. Really? Adrian said no last night. Oh. Until we see it first. Oh, yeah. yeah. He Understood. Keeps, he keeps playing. He goes, here we go, here we go. And then he, yeah, he's very excited by the commercial. So anyway. This um, is the magic time, just yeah. so you know. I know. She is wants it? to. She wants me to show him. Um, she wants me to show him. The original Kong versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. I was like, I could probably do that. I don't think it's too scary. No, yeah. it, it's just fun. Yeah. Um, numerous Algonquin speaking groups inhabiting what is now New York and Vermont states told stories of the Wendigo, said to be a giant cannibalistic man. Creatures resembled many modern day Bigfoot sightings in the region. The Iroquois had similar legends of half human creatures with powerful physiques referred to as stone giants. Those that listen to the show probably already know I balk at connecting the stone giant to Bigfoot. It just does not seem like it. These are the two books I'm pulling from the most. Uh, This is the most recent Paul Bartholomew book, uh, Paul and Robert Bartholomew book, Mysterious Northwoods. This just came out. Yeah, grab it now Yeah, because it's self-published and I have a feeling that when it's gone, it's gone. His books disappear, um, which the perfect example of that is this one, which cost me $90 to buy a copy of, and it's not even hardcover monsters of the Northwoods, $93 to get a copy of that book. And it's gone. Like you're not Mm going to get it again. This one is still in print. Bigfoot encounters in New York and New Orleans, New England, almost said New Orleans. Orleans, Yeah. Um, because I'm assuming it's printed by Hancock house. Right. So, um, 2008 publication date. I was going to ask you what the date on that is. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Naturally. Um, I looked at it last night. That's the only reason I know. So yeah, the other thing I should probably mention is my big plan for today. I did a lot of research into the weirdness, Adirondack weirdness last night, but my big plan was for today to come into the office and really get into this and try to write down some interesting cases. And then I started encountering frequent crashes on my computer as I'm getting ready to edit dark sky. So my research for this episode is limited. Normally I'd be annoyed by that, but it's Bigfoot in the Adirondacks. Bigfoot. I'm a little bit uh, educated on this topic. Yeah. Where do we go from here? Well, I think one <laughs> pull, pull us out of the mind. Yeah. Well, the, um, what I was looking at for today in particular was Whitehall based cases that are not the a bear road incident. And just because they're, to, first of all, to see if there was anything that was um, comparable to that experience. And, um, you know, I found out a couple things, including the fact that there's that, you know, that history going forward from 76 until now. And um, 
they bear a resemblance to the A bear incident in that many of them, probably the majority of them, are from a moving vehicle. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a road crossing sighting or somebody driving to a camp location or something of that nature, and the sighting occurs and then the person moves on, usually very quickly. I just opened it to one. February 16th, 1974, Whitehall, New York. A man parking with his girlfriend on a rural stretch of road in East Whitehall is startled to see the silhouette of a creature nearly seven feet tall. He says nothing to his companion, then makes up an excuse about needing to return to the village. (laughs) Um, Having been to Whitehall, do you find that you can more easily understand why these sightings occur the Mm -hmm. way they do? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... That's the benefit of going on location is that you you come to see just how wooded it is there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a town of Whitehall, but it's enveloped in woods. Yeah. And yeah. there's also the water supply. I mean, there's the Pulteney River, which we got to see. That factors into a lot of these cases. You know, something that struck me as I was watching, and I'm glad I filmed this thing with that 200 to 600 lens because this, you wouldn't have noticed it with a wide angle lens or even like an 85. But being able to zoom up to 600, shoot a, a housetop in the foreground with that cliffside in the mm-hmm. back with the trees on it. There's a part early in Bigfoot, the journey, where Alex makes a comment about something could be standing up in those woods watching us right now. And we'd have, we'd have no idea. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. If you were in downtown Whitehall, there could be something standing, mm-hmm. standing, you know, a couple hundred yards right. away in the woods watching you and you'd have no idea. And actually there's the shots we took from Skeen Manor. Mm-hmm. It kind of gives you that perspective on yes. what it would be like to be up in the woods, looking down on the town, mm-hmm. be completely hidden. That area up there is not really accessible. Although I, I was told by Paul, you can hike up there. It's very difficult. Really? But the, yeah, you know the cliffs I'm talking to about? Go, over, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's doable. But the town is surrounded by forest. It is. And you see that in this mm-hmm. in this new movie. But it makes sense why why uh, the, the stuff, everything takes place near a road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a Rutland one here. That's yeah. That was cool. I just keep opening to them now. Do oh, the Rutland one, and then I want to I want to get into this um, yeah. recent one. This is 74 again, and Rutland, by the way, would be maybe, I mean, it's right down the road. Rutland mm-hmm. is where Paul actually works. So, okay. yeah, Rutland is right up the road. An 8 to 10 feet tall creature is sighted in a field investigating the report. Police spot a creature of similar appearance. There's no more deal, details to that either, which drives me bonkers mm-hmm. because it's it mentions police. Oh. Yeah. It's, it literally says, uh, investigating the report, please spot a creature of similar appearance. And that's it. That is all the details. It gives the reference hmm. as John Green, Sasquatch, the Apes Among Us. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's a, a history of police interaction. Yeah. And, and you can't get away from the connection between the police and Bigfoot in that area, which is why originally when we were setting up the shoot, we had... Um, we, we went out with calls and his group because so many of those guys are law enforcement. Mm-hmm. In fact, I mean, all of them are, right? Is there anyone there that wasn't somehow connected to law enforcement other than Steve? I mean, he's connected to law enforcement, but he's not That's law enforcement. Is yeah. Mike? I don't know about all of them. Maybe some are retired, but I think they all were in there. Yeah. All right, so what do you got? Okay. So this was really interesting to me because, it again, it was within Whitehall proper. I looked at a map of this. And that location is super interesting because it's between, quote unquote, downtown Whitehall and the Pulteney River. There's this little peninsula that sticks out and there's a restaurant out there and there is this coal company site. And it looks like there's a walking trail behind it and a pond. And that's exactly where this sighting took place. Mm -hmm. So it's not far away um, from a very populated area, but it's it's essentially on the banks of the Pulteney River, yeah, which is what makes it so attention-getting. So what ha- was happening was a man was walking his dog behind the Lake Champlain Coal Company when he spotted a large creature walking on two legs about 40 feet away. And it's the close proximity of this that I liked also. He told Paul Bartholomew it was black. It looked like it had a coned head, like a big otter. 
He noticed the creature after it suddenly stood up and calmly walked off. I'm an avid hunter. It wasn't a bear, he said. The incident happened in a small wooded area with a water source at the back. He did not hear splashing as the creature exited the area. I'm a bear hunter, you know. A bear's not going to stand up and walk on its hind legs. It's going to run. It's going to crash. It's going to make a lot of noise. He also added it was all black and it was upright. It wasn't a monster in size, but it was big enough. (laughs) He said if the creature had come after him, he thought about throwing his dog inside the fence. I don't know what the fence is. It's not referenced before this, but I assume maybe it's the company. Yeah. So the dog would be safe. Um, which is, that's a, that's a quality person right there. Yeah. Matted grass where the creature was presumably laying and tracks measuring 12 inches by five inches were found nearby. The witness wishes to remain anonymous. The most likely date of the incident was June 2nd. So I would, I would, um, 12 inch by five is not very big. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit wide, but not long or longish. And he says he's not like a giant. Right shape but um big but big enough and i would um suggest to our listeners just google map lake champlain coal company and you'll see where this is situated and i the thing that from my standpoint is most compelling is that it's just this little grove it's this pond and and walkway and then the pulteney river is just to the east of that so as we continue to kind of consider the pulteney river as a possible um, transportation venue for these creatures that that does square with that, even though it's fairly populated. Right. I'm curious. You saw the you saw this last one, but literally oh. the last one in the mm-hmm. book. Yeah. Did you want? It? Can I read this? Yeah. Go for it. January fifth, twenty twenty. Shortly after noon, a woman observed a huge auburn-colored hairy thing on the ground. She said it had beautiful auburn hair that glistened in the sun. She and her husband brought Paul Bartholomew to the site the next day to investigate, which was near Stalker Road. I read that Stalker Road, and I was like, I know that mm-hmm. road name. That is, uh, it's di- directly across the street from Skeen Valley. There are many shots in Beast of Whitehall that were on Stalker Road. The reason is it's a connecting road, and there's not as much traffic on it. Mm-hmm. So it was one of the few roads that we were able to pull off of. Okay. And shoot B-roll during the middle of the day yeah. without having cars whizzing past us. Mm-hmm. Um, but that stood out to me, that road name. A lot goes on there in that little area specifically. If you'll notice, it's on like that side of town, mm-hmm. kind of heading toward, I guess, Vermont. Mm-hmm. Which is heading more toward the Green Mountains than it is the Adirondacks. Right. Heading away from the Adirondacks mm-hmm. toward the Green Mountains, yeah. I would think. Yeah. That seems to be a common color also associated with these Adirondack Auburn creatures. Yeah. Yeah. Reddish. Yeah. Auburny cast mm-hmm. to their hair. And that's what I thought was crazy about the Kinderhook thing. You know, I was going to say, what, yeah, up. there's, there's, but, but in, uh, shoot, I don't even know if he wants me to mention this there. It, Bruce just took a more recent, it's not a recent report, but it's a report and, um, hmm. It's that it's that same color. I think it's auburn. Okay. I think it's that same kind of color. Yeah. You have to look that up though now. Go ahead. Okay. You, uh, another one from Whitehall. This is 2008. Late July, early August. About 8 p.m. a teenage girl was tending to her horse on Upper Turnpike Road when she noticed a very tall figure standing between 7 and 8 feet on the edge of the wood line. She sensed that the creature was watching her. I could see it had thick, long hair, so long and coarse you could almost see every individual strand. It was dark brownish in color. Two or three minutes after the sighting, there's a loud vocalization heard by the daughter and her mother. The teen described it as nothing like I ever heard before. It was a high-pitched screech. She said it scared us, and we all, mother and daughter, ran to the truck. The pair also noticed a really strong smell, worse than a dead animal hanging in the air. Uh... Yeah, I mean, so this, let me just give you a rundown of this. I don't think you would mind because I'm not going to go into deep detail on this. Okay. But, um, so it's a few years later. It doesn't give me a date, actually. Wait, maybe it does. Late 70s is when the initial account. So this would have been late 80s then. Um, well, mid, mid 80s. She and her boyfriend were looking for a fishing pond at the other end of McCagra. This is Kinderhook. We've jumped mm-hmm. to Kinderhook. Um, near 203, as they were walking into the woods, they saw what at first they thought was a big man standing near a tree in the distance. On closer inspection, they realized it was not a man. It was over six feet tall, covered in reddish-brown hair. 
was extremely bulky. And I mentioned the reddish brown hair to him. I said, isn't that common? He said, it's very common for, mm-hmm. for those Kinderhook sightings to have that detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool story. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's one that keeps coming up. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like the red eye. That's the other thing. The red eyes with the Whitehall creature, mm-hmm. what people see in Whitehall, those come up consistently. And that's not always the case with Bigfoot reports. But in Whitehall, in and around Whitehall, a lot of the nighttime sightings involve yeah. red eyes. And glowing red, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like. Sourced. From I hate to say self illuminated since I've been run raked over the coals for saying that, but that's what it <laughs> makes me think of. Here's another one from Whitehall that. I'll connect the dots in a second. October 2008, South Bay, Whitehall, New York. Father was driving his teenage daughter to school when they both spotted a large dark colored creature jump from rocks onto the road in front of them. A large two-legged animal continued to cross the road and run over the bank heading towards the bay. It was described as six feet tall and moved over very tough terrain with relative ease. The daughter said the creature turned its head toward them before it darted away. Now, anecdotally, I mean, this is probably reading into it, but it seems like a lot of these, at least modern, quote unquote, modern Whitehall reports, there's an element of interaction. Like in the one with the the teenage girl with the horse, she felt as if she was being watched. Here you have the creature looking over its shoulder to like look at them as they go by in the car. And I mean, why not? As you're in close proximity to people, it seems like, if you know, assuming these creatures are actually there, then there's some way that they have to acclimate to human presence, right? And they would be naturally curious about us. Yeah. So I just find it interesting. It, it argues against sort of the Bigfoot as a ghost, or like just not in you know not interested at all. Right. In Dimensional humans. Yeah. 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 It's reacting to people. It's reacting mm. to stimuli. Things like that. Yeah. Um, why don't you give us another one and then we can start to wrap up okay. so we don't get too long. Wouldn't want people to have too much fun. <laughs> On the weirdness one, we have to go back to that Adirondack hum. Mm-hmm. You know that? Yeah. It's in there. I have, I have a bunch I okay. want to talk about. Okay. Um, let's see. The other, oh. the other thing I want to mention is that, um, for, for listeners, it is, it is very, it's one thing to hear about the Adirondacks. And it's another thing to experience them for yourselves. And for a lot of our, especially like our West Coast listeners, but even the East Coast, the Adirondacks are overlooked. So for a lot of people, the first time you'll really experience the Adirondacks, even if you've seen on the tra- or, uh, the Beast of Whitehall, the first time you'll really experience it will be when you see on the trail of Bigfoot the Journey. Because I think that was like first and foremost in our minds when we were making the movie was putting our audience in that place to the best of our abilities, probably more so than I think I've ever attempted with another movie Mm -hmm. where it was, that was what making that movie was really about. Um, And so far I'm hearing everyone, but, but the point I'm making is when, when it's one thing for us to sit here and talk about these stories, it's another thing for you to hear these stories after you've experienced the Adirondacks. It just kind of like puts you, it, it, in a way it like will help, set the stage or help describe to you visually like what you're hearing about. Yeah. It's one thing to say 6 million acres. It's another thing right. to say 6 million acres. It's so easy it's, to yeah. envision it. Yeah. Having been there. Yeah. So I've got two little shorties to yeah. go out on here. Okay. Good shorties. <laughs> Fall 2010 Pillsbury mountain, Northwest of speculator. Yeah. So that's what caught my eye there. Yeah. A hunter leaning against a tree reported an ape like creature running past him. He said he was quote, Scared to death and didn't know what to do. Unquote. I think that's a fair Watching reaction. Watching it run by. Where, where, where's this at? Though? Northwest of Speculator, Pillsbury Mountain is the location. Huh. So I don't. I. I mean, we were in Speculator for a time, yeah. and then there is I'm, uh, I'm a cave if, from there. See, what's know. interesting is Pillsbury Mountain. That might be where we shot some of that B-roll with the river on Beast of Whitehall. Um, mm. I started following all these. I don't know if you did this, but I started following all these like Adirondack hashtags and stuff. Yeah. And one of them recently, I could probably pull it up. They went to, they were hiking and they went to the bridge. I went across that, uh, what do they call those? The swinging 
rope bridges. Oh, okay. I went over one of those when I was out there the first time. Mm-hmm. And apparently, and that name sounds familiar. I'm wondering if that's the same You've been there. area. Yeah. Which is also the area we drove up the road late at night. Mm-hmm. So oh, in, yeah. in in the movie, in Beast of Whitehall, there's the footage on the road driving around yeah. at night. That's up there. But again, I don't know if that's, mm-hmm. but it, if not, it's in the same area. Okay. So speculators right there. Yeah. Because I stayed in Wells that first time. Mm-hmm. That's such a cool area. Yeah. <laughs> Speculator is such a cool name. Everything about that area, that was something I noticed the first time I was out there. That particular part of the Adirondacks, the names themselves sort of set the stage for you, what you're mm-hmm. going to experience. Yeah. yeah, for real. And it's around there, too. I mean, at least the way we came in, you start to see things like um, camps mm-hmm. and like the old school yeah. like lodge camps. Yeah. And you just feel like you're going back in time almost. Yeah. I, I would love to. There's some really cool documentaries on YouTube that show footage from the glory days of yeah. like the old the old lodges mm-hmm. and stuff in there. Yep. And this will be last summer 2012, Whitehall, New York. A man contacted Frank Sosinski mm-hmm. to report that he had observed a large hairy creature at about 6 p.m. walking on two legs in the middle of a stream near the entrance to Whitehall. Mm-hmm. So Sosinski is the one that has the apple orchard photos. Okay. So he's, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The ones that more than likely a bear with major, mm-hmm. sorry, but <laughs> like, uh, that's him. And I, mm-hmm. and I have, I think Paul's the one that told me he gets a lot of reports coming into him now from, from people who've, who've had sightings because mm-hmm. they were aware of him because his photos are so well regarded. Um, where was that though? In heading into New York or into Whitehall? Yeah, into Whitehall, like the streams. I mean, you know, there's, there's yeah. a couple bridges you go over. Yeah, the, the the report gives you the impression that somebody was like driving into town, and they happen to look over, and there in the middle of the stream is a bigfoot, bigfoot hanging out. Yeah, I'd be curious to know which stream mm-hmm. coming in. Um, all right, so uh, that covers Bigfoot. Next week we're going to get into more random weirdness um, around the uh, Adirondacks in upstate New York, and. Um, this uh i don't know how many episodes we'll do about this we just ADK. did like three about kentucky so this might go yeah. on for months <laughs> it could easily um yeah it's the, what happens i mean we go somewhere and then the obsession sets yeah in. <laughs> yeah and this obsession never stopped and if anything i think it gets worse yeah it seems like it's getting worse for you it is <laughs> have i talked about how my parents spent like the first night of their honeymoon in i saw the pictures remember the i was there yeah i didn't house. know if i talked about it on the yeah. show yeah oh Maybe next episode. Ooh, that'd be good. Yeah. That'd be a great thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, All right. I think that's it for now. We'll be back next week. Back to Kickstarter. (laughs) Monsteropolis is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com. It is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth.